Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Today's Gospels from the book of John, chapter 20, verse 19 through 30. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas who was called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, in this moment of silence and reflection, we pray that you would teach us to hear your voice. We come to this moment from a place of fear or hope, of feeling connected to others or isolated and lonely. We come to this moment optimistic or depressed, quite self-confident, or just wondering how long it's going to be until we can really make those changes in our lives that we want to see, that don't seem to be materializing, and we're losing hope. We come into this moment, Lord, on one hand, created in your image and likeness, beautiful bearing honor and dignity 
and at the same time, broken, fractured, easily wandering, coming undone. And your response to all of that is to see us, to know us, to love us, to give yourself to us in the sacrificial work of your son Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we pray now, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, that you would wake us up to your grace. Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. Fill our minds with your truth, our hearts with your love, and send us out to be your very agents of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Two weeks ago, Florence went on this amazing trip to the state of Jalisco, Mexico. Jalisco is the state where tequila is made. Jalisco is the state where mariachi music was invented. Jalisco is the state where Florence's mom was born and raised in the earliest years of her life. And so this was kind of an ancestral visit for Florence to go back and see the spot where Florence's mom was born. To meet great aunts and great uncles that Florence had either never met or hadn't seen for 30 years. To hear life's story and the stories of her family. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, I was here in San Diego preparing for our busiest week of the year, Holy Week, with three services and meeting with community leaders and planning things on both sides of the border for whatever relief work we could be involved in that week. While trying to keep these three boys alive and fed and at baseball games, and at school, and we did it. Benjamin, we did it, didn't we? We all got fed, we all made it. Yeah, he says so-so. We did all right. There was this moment, though, and I'm not going to name names. You know, I, I had just made a feast, a breakfast feast on a school day. There were eggs and sausages and hash browns and all the good stuff. And I go into my office to get a couple things. I hear from the other room, Dad, yes, son, you gave me too many eggs. I said, son, are you complaining because I gave you too much food? Did you know there are kids all around? Come on, please. P my point is, parenting is a thankless task. <laughs> you get grief if there's not enough eggs. You get grief if there's too many eggs. You get grief if the yolk's not just, you get grief no matter what. And then you still have to go to work after the kids go to school. Anyway, parenting's a thankless task. I think being a savior of the world is probably a thankless task too. And we see it today in this passage. Jesus has just healed people in front of Thomas for three years. Jesus has preached in front of Thomas for three years. He spoke about the resurrection in front of Thomas, for, in fact, in front of all of them for three years. He rises from the dead, and the first response he gets is, I don't think so. I doubt it. I don't trust you. I'll believe it when I see it. Now, it's interesting because that happened back then, but that still happens today in our own hearts. And one of the things I love is how honest Scripture is about the human heart. We are slow to trust. And many of us, for good reason, because you've trusted before and you've been hurt. You've been let down. And so the question is, is there a way to trust in Jesus? In the 21st century, in Southern California, with an education, with a rational mind, with all the cares and the concerns of your life, can you actually have a trust and a faith in Jesus that is strong enough to hold you through 
the storms of life. What does that look like? Now, here's the thing. All of us put our faith and trust in something. It's not like it's the Christians who believe and then everyone else gets a pass on the faith category. You put your faith in something. The question is, do you know what it is? I was ministering to someone recently who had put their hope in a great job. They moved cities to be in another city for this job, and the report came back. It started well, but things aren't going so great. It's not panning out. I'm wondering what I'm supposed to do with my life. You can put your faith and your trust in your career, and it will work for a while, and then it will run out. Your career will never give its life for you. Your career will demand that you give your life for it. And on and on it goes. You can put your faith in your family. You can put your faith in your health. When it works, it will work until it doesn't. Because no human being is strong enough, faithful enough, consistent enough to really support your entire being. That's an unfair demand to put on anyone, whether it's a child or a spouse or a best friend. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I am the rock that when you build your life on me, the winds come, the waves rise, and the house will stand because I'm not going anywhere. The question is, can you believe that? Can you trust that? Why should you? Let's examine this interaction Jesus has with Thomas and look at what does Jesus give? What does he call us to? And how do we respond? First, what does he give? In verse 19 and verse 26, Jesus comes and says, peace be with you. Elsewhere he says, I don't give peace as the world gives. Right? How does the world give peace? You, every commercial that you watch is selling you peace through a car. Peace through a beverage. Peace through clothes, peace through cryptocurrency transactions, peace through something. And he says, I don't give peace like the world gives. I don't give it transactionally. I don't give it partially. I give it completely all the time because I am the peace of the world. The question is, what gives you peace in your life? And he says, I give you peace. Another interesting thing here, it says he breathed on them and said, peace be with you. Do you know what's going on there? This is echoing the earliest creation narrative in Genesis when God forms the first humans and breathes God's life into them. That was creation. And now Jesus is breathing new life into his faith community. New creation is being birthed in the midst of the old. A resurrection community is being sent out with the spirit of God. But it starts with what he gives, peace. Here's what else he gives. Patience. You noted, I mean, it's almost poetic in its articulation of the story. They come to Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. We saw Jesus risen from the dead. I won't believe it unless I can put my fingers in the holes and my hand in the hole in the side. Later, Jesus comes. Thomas was there. Jesus approaches Thomas and says not, how dare you? How dare you doubt me? After all I've done for you, after all I've seen, how dare you? He doesn't say that. Does Jesus come to him and say, you should have gotten it by now. 
I gave you a master class in who I am, and you still failed the test. No. Look how patient Jesus is with Thomas' doubts. You need this? I'll meet you right here. Go ahead. Put your fingers in the holes in my hand. Put your hand in the hole in my side. Jesus meets us in our exact questions. But he doesn't stay there. What are your questions right now? I mean, if you're saying, I can't believe these things, I don't know if I could become a Christian, one of my questions to you is, what would it look like for you to take a step of trust? How would you know that that actually happened in your life? What would be different? Why don't you write down an answer to that question? What would be different if you were actually convinced that Jesus rose from the dead? How would you know that miracle happened in your life? Now note, Jesus doesn't give a delinquent, lazy response either. He doesn't say just believe because that's what faith is. Faith is just kind of closing your eyes and believing that the great man in the sky is going to take care of you. It's just blind faith. He doesn't say that. He then gives him convincing proof to Thomas. See the holes. Touch. Believe. Here's what's going on. Thomas does not have to see the nail marks in order to become a Christian. But Thomas does have to witness the nail marks to become an apostle. To be one of the earliest witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. It's almost as if the gospel writers and Jesus and the wisdom of God anticipated our objections in the 21st century. I don't know if I can believe these things how can we really trust this anyways? I prefer to think of Jesus as a great teacher, a great leader. I appreciate the themes of the gospel, but really, risen from the dead? I don't think so. And it's in a way, the gospel of John is saying, look at the kind of treatment we got. Look at the access we got to his wounds. It's not just one person saw this once. Many people saw this many times over a period of 40 days. In other words, you can trust that the resurrection actually happened. As I said last week, I don't believe in the resurrection because it makes me feel better. I believe in the resurrection because it actually happened. But because it actually happened, it makes me feel better. It gives me hope. And it's saying you can believe these things actually happened. Now, what does he call us to? First, he calls us to community. He calls us to community. Did you notice one of the reasons Thomas missed the resurrected Jesus the first time around was because he was not at the gathered community? I don't know what he was doing, visiting a friend, shopping, maybe there was a football game. I have no idea. The point is he wasn't there. He didn't prioritize being a part of the community of faith, and therefore he almost missed the resurrected Jesus. Conversely, how did he get reconnected with Christ? through the community. They didn't say, hey, you missed the meeting, you're out. They said, hey, you missed the greatest meeting of our lives. You should have seen it. Why don't you hang around? And because he hung around, I mean, God always gives second chances, third chances, millionth chances. Jesus comes back. Peace be with you. Now, it's a stumbling, bumbling, fallible community. It is cliche to say that if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there because they won't accept you. Churches are made of beautiful and broken people like you and like me. 
Part of the peace that Jesus offers the church, Thomas is in a moment of doubt. Okay, Peter denied knowing him three times on his day of crucifixion, and all of them had scattered and left Jesus alone. And Jesus comes to this ragtag group of people that are stumbling through life, sometimes getting it, sometimes not, two steps forward, three steps back, and says, peace be with you. But it happens in the context of community. One of the aspects I love about Lori's story is that this church, when she was in a toxic home environment, prayed for her to get into good housing, but then showed up to actually move her stuff into good housing also. We, tw- and she's saying twice. It happened twice. We pray big prayers of renewal, and then we put our actions into those prayers, and it happens in a community. And when that happens, the watching world begins to see what the kingdom of God looks like. You know what else he invites us to? He challenges us. He says, don't stay stagnant where you are. He challenges you to doubt your doubts. So on one hand, there's patience. There's peace. He meets Thomas in his doubts, but then he challenges him when he says, do not doubt, but believe. I'll meet you in your doubt, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to light a fire under you. I'm going to push you to trust me. You can trust me. Now, I'm not going to geek out on the Greek construction. This was written in Greek. But I'll just tell you, the Greek construction here is not do not doubt but believe. It's quit becoming unbelieving and start becoming trusting. It's saying you're going one direction or the other. Are you aware of what direction you're headed? And there's this invitation to doubt your doubts. Because there's no such thing as a pure doubt. And doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubts might be a sign that you're actually paying attention. With genocide happening in the world and abuse happening toward children, if you're a Christian and you're not kept up every now and then shaking your fist at God, you might not be paying attention. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. Doubt could be a sign that you're engaged. The question is, what do you do with your doubts? He says, bring them to me. Also, there's no such thing as a pure doubt when it comes to saying, I doubt that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Like, on one hand, you have to use your mind. We talked about this last week in the Easter sermon. You could listen to it on the podcast. But also, we have many sub-reasons, subconscious reasons for doubting. For example, it's terrifying to think that Jesus might be the Son of God and actually risen from the dead. Because if he is, you know what that means? The only rational response is to give over control of your life to him. But we don't want to give over control of our life to anybody. We want to control everything. Now, on one hand, I ask you, how's that working out for you? But on the other hand, I say, I get it. And so we rationalize subconsciously, I don't want to give control to him, therefore I will not trust him as easy as that. And you have enough other things to do. You can keep it at arm's length. You can eke out 70 or 80 years on this planet if you're lucky without ever going deeper in your spiritual life. And that's a tragedy. Or you can say, I doubt it. But I'm going to press in. I'm going to ask more questions. And here's the thing. You will not give over, give over control of your life to Jesus until you see that he is not only powerful, but that he's good. That in him is light and there is no darkness at all. That you can actually trust him. But once you see that, 
Why would you wait another second? Run to him. Jesus then sends his disciples out. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Question, how did the Father send Jesus? Well, John gives us a clue. The gospel writer earlier in John 3, one of the most famous, often quoted scriptures in the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What would it look like if as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends you, and so you begin to say, as God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he sent Tony. God so loved the world that he sent Chris. God so loved the world that he sent Lori. Your life becomes a renewing love letter to the world around you. In your particular career, in your particular family, on your particular block, where they can say, because I know this person, I know something of God's love in this world. What would that look like? Specifically, what would be different in your, in your life tomorrow if you woke up and you said, my life is a love letter to the people I meet today from God? And finally, and we'll close with this, how does Thomas respond? He responds with one of the first Christian declarations in history. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Bef- on one hand, I think he's finally getting what John, the gospel writer, has been trying to get us to see the whole time. In John 4 and 7, Jesus, Jesus says, I am living water. In John 8, Jesus said, before Moses was, I am. I am the God of all existence. In John 14, Jesus said, when you look at me, you see the Father because the Father and I are one. And Thomas is beginning to get it. Now look, most of Thomas's contemporaries already believed in God as Lord and God. The revolutionary part is that Thomas could call God mine. My Lord and my God, Lord and God are ultimate, but my is intimate. That God is not just out there watching, but God is closer to you than the air you breathe. The resurrection is not just a historical moment to remember, but a resurrection reality to live into today. And as we experience Jesus' patience, his peace, his invitation, his challenge, our lives are renewed and transformed. But as we do it together, this whole world is renewed and transformed. So in this Easter season, let's continue to recalibrate our life GPS back to the true north of the resurrection as we walk together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that you would fill us with your spirit and convince us as you did on that day with Thomas of the resurrection reality and what it means for our lives. We pray that you would press these things deep down into our hearts and send us out to embody your good news wherever we go. We pray these things in your name. Amen.